the Recovery Revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, Episode 31. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Hey, Sandra. Good morning, Tammy. Good morning, indeed. Halloween for us, even though this will not air on Halloween, but this is typically a busy day in the kid world. (laughs) This on Halloween, yes, it is a busy day. And let me just tell you, I'm not um, seeking any sort of commiseration. It's just kind of hilarious how this all landed in my life. But this week, I have a wedding anniversary it's Halloween and it's my daughter's birthday all in a week. <laughs> Going to plan that better, huh? Well, <laughs> <laughs> wasn't planned. <laughs> hmm. Oh, universe. Aren't you funny? <laughs> so, Aww. you know, I guess the good thing is it, it it's a crazy week and then it's over and then there's yeah. a little breathing room before uh, Thanksgiving. But it's a, it's a nutty week. I yeah. mean, I am going on lists and adrenaline uh for sure well, so october's been crazy so yeah yeah true and you're I, just well, ending I, it today like the final had, day right and i've had a lot of work the kids have had a lot of stuff um so it's all it went by very quickly but but this week in particular is is pretty hilarious so anniversaries down that right. we did that over good that's done okay how many years <laughs> that's done seven uh married oh. and 11 together so we were we held off four years before we <laughs> held married off. and then it's still kind of yeah kind of both went a little itchy going but uh-huh. <laughs> no uh-huh. I'm kidding <laughs> now you're all in you know, it's one of those things. If you've been uh, married and divorced, and you feel a little sting from that, then um, you know you don't. You're a little bit cautious the second time. At least we both were. Yeah. And uh, you, you kept your maiden name, right? Or no, you kept. No, no. no. That's... I have my actually. I kept my my married name. So. Right, right, right. Um, that's it. Yeah, so Primo is actually uh, my ex-husband's name, and I could give you a million reasons uh, why. Uh, you know, one was just pure. Well, you know, it's been my name for a while, so I, yeah. I, I not change it. Um, I like the name. <laughs> That's I actually do. one of the biggest reasons is mm-hmm. I like the name. Mm-hmm. My um, my ex-husband's mom divorced his father when she I'm not really sure how old I think um my ex-husband was young three-ish four-ish probably about the same around the same age that my son was um and she kept the name as well nice (laughs) it's a good name yeah Yeah, it's a very good name 
she took the name to, and then I don't know if any parties on any side really cared. No one has expressed that to me. And then the other big reason was my kid, when he started school, he had not been diagnosed as being on the spectrum, but, um, I knew something, you know, mama's no. And I, I knew something and I just knew he was a, I, it was very, my intuition kept telling me that it is very important for us to have the same last name, um, when he starts school and beyond just because, um, I don't know. I just, I could see him wandering off, you know, he, he, he kind of had that in him. Yeah. So it was real important to me that we had the same last name. So that's another reason too, but still, you know, it's probably, I will probably die with Primo as my last name. <laughs> well, it's great. I, I didn't realize, I, I love your last name. I was thinking about it the other day and it was like, yours is Primo. Mine is Solace, which is pronounced like the word S-O-L-A-C-E, but it's not spelled that way. But my last name is a palindrome, which I really like because it's S-A-L-A-S. And I gave it up when I got married the first time. And when I got divorced, I'd sent my ex-sister-in-law a card when she graduated from college or something that she, of course, returned to sender to me. And she said on the envelope, because she didn't even open it, and she was like, and this isn't your last name because she pointed an arrow to, you know, my, the return address. Oh. Um, and you should give it back. And I thought mm. about it for like a long time. Mm. And I was like, why did I give it up in the first place? Mm-hmm. Like, why did I just, I didn't even think about it. I just, that's what you did. You know, well, I just did it. You can, yeah. <laughs> and the thing about names too, I mean, gosh, there's so much to say, you know, you can either put a lot of weight on the meaning of, of a name and what that means, um, what that means to other people, even besides you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And I didn't care enough. I didn't care enough for, to keep it. I mean, it was Anderson and I really, I liked it, but then I was like, I like my last name. Um, and when I got it back, I didn't want to give it up again. Mm-hmm. I, once I went through all the paperwork and all the stuff. And so um, when I got married to my current husband, uh, I said, do you care if I keep my last name? He's like, no. No. <laughs> yeah. name. And I was like, awesome. Now, other people had opinions. And, right. And See, a lot of other people will have opinions. Exactly. Right. But, so, you know, I think it's just whatever, yeah. whatever resonates with you and you have can have your own sure. reasons for doing or not doing what you do with your name. Um, mine, some of mine are superficial. <laughs> I just yeah, and it's whatever. Yeah. But it's just mine now. So yeah, yeah. I'm good with it. Um, I have got to hear, you have not totally debriefed me and I know this is an episode where it's just going to be us. So I just really want to just, I don't know if you can bite size it for me here, but, um, you went to the Macklemore concert. Oh, I did. Right. That, mm-hmm. So that was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. It was amazing. Uh, it was one of those things that it was, uh, like I've talked about with music. I am always late to the party. The thing has already sold out when I have decided that I want to go. <laughs> and um, a friend um, here in Austin, our, our friend Sarah, when we were discussing Macklemore after our other friend Amy went to see him in Houston and she had backstage passes and all of that stuff. So she got close and personal. Sarah said, I, I 
tickets. He's coming here tonight or tomorrow night. I, I'm going to try to get tickets. Okay. If you get tickets, Sarah, I'll, uh, you know, I'll, I'll consider going with you. So anyway, she got tickets <laughs> and she and Jen and I went and it was so fun. Oh my God. It was so fun. You girls look so cute on your little, I saw your picture (laughs) of the three of you in your cute shirts. I was just like, oh, I wish I was there. I don't get FOMO much, but I got FOMO looking at that. I'm like, oh, I want to be with those girls. (laughs) Yeah, it was really fun. And it was such a cool show because it was an all ages show. And um, so there were kids everywhere, teenagers. I was really sad that I hadn't brought my, you know, that I hadn't have thought ahead because my teen would have loved it. Um, God, there was just like every stripe and race and and gender identification and age. And I saw grandparents. I mean, it was Aww. a real cool. Sh- it was a cool audience and a super positive, cool show. It was really fun. Ah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And so was fun. it in a small venue or was it a big place? It was a small-ish venue. I guess kind of one of those medium-sized venues. Okay. So it wasn't. Uh, it was a cl- considered a club, but um, but still, I, I can't really tell you how many people were there. Yeah, no, I, I was just, but not like a stadium. You didn't go to a big, huge mm-hmm. thing. No, it was a club. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I could yeah. do that. Maybe. Yeah, I could maybe do that. Oh, stadiums. You can't I can't. Mm-mm. Nope. Oh. Yeah, that, that's I, something I just I'm tagging out of that for I don't unless I, I just don't enjoy all the people around me. It's uh-huh. too much stimul. It's too much for me. <laughs> I can't even think about it. <laughs> like, nope, I don't even I'm just like getting all weird just talking about it. But a um, um, sized place. Um, yeah, that might be OK. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. So you were up late, like on a school night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess we got home at like 1130 or something. So, yeah. But then I was kind of, you know, doing that thing where you're like vibrating just from the stimulus and then, you know, the noise and just the, the excitement. And I laid, laid there for a long time before I even fell asleep. Mm-hmm. Good. But yeah, total sober blast. <laughs> <laughs> Well, good. Well, I'm busy. Uh, what is it? Well, manifesting him for our show. So I'm doing all my I'm playing his music. I am just trying as hard as I can. So. Yeah, I went out and bought his um, his recent CD, which is Gemini. And it's so good. I've I've had it on repeat in my car for well since the show. So Aww, good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, so I one thing I wanted to share before we jumped into things was that I'm doing this thing. We'll see how it goes. Um, it's nothing major, but, and again, I'm late to the party too, Sandra, because by the time this airs, it'll already be November. But for November, I wanted to try to do this, um, my daily gratitude practice and, and get other people to join in. And so I'm creating a hashtag for it just called Tammy's Gratitude Tribe. And so if people want to do daily lists or illustrated lists, they can do lists and use that hashtag on Instagram and so that we can have them all in one place, kind of inspire each other, look for inspiration. And I might do some daily prompts, but I'm going to do that every day for the uh, month of November because I I need one more thing to do. But um, (laughs) I think it'd be fine to add it on what I already do. So it's going to be simple for me. But I've been getting so many nice private messages on Instagram and people asking um, for prompts or tools or what do I use? And so, um, I've been collecting all of those in one place and I'm going to try to address some of that throughout the month when I do my lists. Um, 
So if anybody wants to join in, just do it on your own feed and just use the hashtag and you'll be able to hopefully see what other people are doing. I love it. Great idea. Yeah, that's it. You got anything you want to share? No. No. That, no <laughs> We're going to share a lot today, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> we should dig in. So do you want to tell the listeners what um, Yeah, so we're we're calling this episode Not This. And this is based on, we are going to riff on um, a a Facebook post that Elizabeth Gilbert made about a year ago. She used to be super active on her Facebook page. Um, I think she's taking a little break, but um, she would write these brilliant things and Um, there were a couple of them that I would save and just come back to many times And this one in particular called not this. I think I read it 10 or 15 times and, um, I was thinking about it a, a week or so ago and I shared it in our private Facebook group, which by the way, if you would like to be a member of our private Facebook group, please message either myself or Tammy, and we will add you. Um, but I reposted it there and everybody, if so many people responded to it, um, that had either, either never read it and was just kind of blown away because it really makes you think, or, um, there were several of our members that had read it and remembered exactly when they read it and it, it made them think exactly about all the times in their lives that they had said, uh, not this. And basically, um, what the small essay is about, like I said, it's just really a Facebook post. Um, she talks about how, you know, you, you it's almost a sudden act where you kind of wake up and realize that you're in the wrong job, in the wrong relationship, uh, you're addicted to things, you're acting out. And it's just that sudden moment of realization where you wake up and say, not this. So usually there's some fear around it. Like it's, scary as hell um because you don't know what the other thing is that you're choosing <laughs> or maybe be, by saying not this um you don't even know what to expect um the alternative is unknown but all you know is that your whole body heart and soul is saying I don't know what's beyond this, but it's not this. Hmm. I I'd never read it. And you posted that and I wasn't ready to read it when you posted it either. I don't know why, just whatever was happening. And so I cut and paste it from our Facebook group and I printed it out in a document and I just read it on Sunday. And wow, can she write? <laughs> Oh, I know. <laughs> I mean, so succinct, those feelings and just the examples. And it's not a very long essay. It's a Mm-mm. really powerful essay. Very. And the flood of not this after I read it, it was really easy to pick. I went, 
boom, boom, all those boom. moments. Oh, yeah. right? I know when it was not life. this. I know yeah. when I was finally just done. So today, that's what I think we're going to do. We're going to share um, a few of our not this moments, and um, hopefully, they resonate with people or get people to think about maybe when they're not this moment was or maybe it's about to happen you know mm-hmm. maybe it's something there there that's been inside of them too then and they're going to be ready to say not this but i was really um touched by this essay and i was really glad you posted it yeah yeah it, right um yeah i've had i've had a few not this moments in my life you know some were super significant some not hugely significant, but the feelings were the same. I don't know what's beyond this, but it's not this. Um, I think my first one was, you know, having spent all this time and money on a liberal arts degree and a teaching certification and much to my parents' dismay, I walked out of my last student teaching assignment and I said, nope, not this. And, um, and that is not to disparage teaching at all. As a matter of fact, I'll tell a, I'll try to keep it brief. I'll tell a quick story. When I was um, student teaching, one of my classes, I was a sociology major, so this particular high school had a uh, had a sociology as an elective, and the teacher kind of handed off the last uh, chapter to me. Uh, to supervise, to come up with a curriculum and um, kind of manage the extra credit and all of that. And it was race and ethnicity, so like not a light topic right. at all. And I was 24 um, and I kind of had the mind of an 18-year-old, honestly, and I kind of looked like I was 18. And um, I just wasn't, I wasn't ready really what it comes down to. But Basically, what happened in a nutshell was that it was a very mixed race high school, and uh, um, the assignment for extra credit I gave the students were to write a poem about uh, ethnicity and and or race or both, and um, you know I was expecting this sort of dead poet society moment, you know. <laughs> can see it right now when you said that <laughs> right uh-huh. and um there was some great poetry like I was moved to tears and there were these two girls in the class that were cousins and one of them and they were both have very strong personalities although uh and they were both athletes um but one was a little more studious than the other one a, a little quieter than the other one. Um, so, uh, the more vocal one, um, got up and read her poem and basically it was about being a proud black girl, um, proud of her heritage and her ethnicity. And, um, it was a, it was a beautiful poem, but it was, you could tell it was sort of, it was kind of picking at, um, somebody that wasn't exactly like her maybe, or didn't share the same thoughts she did. And, um, and I want to say that she even said something about how she was proud that she never tried to act white. And, um, her cousin 
came up and, and delivered a poem that was basically the opposite, not the opposite, not the opposite of, of what her cousin had shared, but that, um, she was proud to, uh, have identify with, um, all of all the races in her school. And she, um, excelling was very important to her. And there were a couple of things that, that you could tell were sort of directed, um, at the, at kind of as counterpoints to the points her, her cousin had made. It was, it, it, the way it unfolded, I was just <laughs> astonished, right? It's like a poetry it, slam towards each other. <laughs> it basically was just like that. And, after school or after our class, I find out later on in the afternoon because I get called into the vice principal's office that these two girls had had a fight um, oh. and like after uh, during lunch. And so I, I got reprimanded um, for this assignment, basically. And I was dumbfounded. Like I didn't know I, I didn't know how to speak up from for the assignment. I I. So that, um, and I, I couldn't advocate for myself, for my intentions or, or the girls or anything. I mean, it was really, I was just stunned and I wasn't prepared for that moment at all. And, um, so that was the big thing that prompted me to finish up my student teaching and walk out of there and say, okay, uh, not this, you know, and had I been maybe more confident, more mature, um, I could have used that moment maybe as a teaching learning experience for myself, you know, on how to, how to be a better teacher. And I think a lot of people maybe would have gained, um, learning experience, you know, from that moment going forward. Um, but I just, I wasn't ready, you know, I wasn't there. And, um, if I can say anything about that, not this moment, it did open me up to my creative path because I finished up school. And then shortly after that is when I started taking photography classes. So, um, you know, we can't go back and change our past, but, um, and there's a you know, a reason why it happened that way. But that was a, that was a big, that was my first big, not this moment. Mm-hmm. I can, I could feel it all. I could actually see it when you're describing it too, you know, to see you and the principal or the vice principal. office like that. I can feel it. Um, well, so, so what we're going to do through the show, I'm going to give a couple of not, this is for me. We're gonna go back and forth. Right. And kind of sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, the the not this for me the first one that I that I really remember um, was when I left my husband my first husband and I kind of should have seen it coming this was around nineteen well this was nineteen ninety seven and um, I was living in Colorado but um, I had a I had kind of a precursor to my not this I had a meltdown a major meltdown in my walk in closet of my master bedroom where I was in the corner underneath the clothes, just sobbing. And it was on my one year anniversary. And he was like, what? He found me like, what is going on? And I couldn't quite 
describe it because he was like this super nice, handsome, great guy. Um, mm-hmm. Great husband material. Um, <laughs> if there is such a thing, I don't know. I hear that phrase when I was younger, you know, like he on paper or whatever. Great guy. Um, he was the opposite of the of the ex-boyfriend before him. So the, this is, you know, I married this clean cut, nice um, guy. So why was I not happy? You know, and as I right. sat in the closet, like I was thinking, like, I, I think I don't want to be married to him. But that just sounded so outrageous based on the fact that we'd gotten married and had all these presents and our house was filled with all these things from people. You know, we just did this big wedding. Uh, That's not an option. There's nothing wrong here. He's not abusive. He's not neglectful. He's not, you know, I couldn't possibly. um, There was no evidence that you could find outside of you that. Right. But so it took about another three years. Um, to get up the nerve to do it, but it was always there, like looking for my escape, looking for the justification. And f- around, you know, around our fourth year of marriage, I just, um, you know, not to get it, I'm not going to tell you all the gory details, but I wasn't happy. He basically wanted to have a kid. Him and his mom were, had decided that we were going to have a baby. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was like, nope, not this, no, no. I am not going to be, I'm not going to have a kid because if I have a kid, I know me, I'm not going to leave. Yeah. Or at least I thought that at the time because I was 27 when I left. Mm-hmm. But I thought that this is it. This is my not this moment. This is, I am not going to get pregnant. I am not going to have his baby. I am not going to do that because then I'll be tied to him and his family forever. Mm-hmm. And I know I don't want that. And I don't want to do that to a kid. So that was like, really on my mind. And so I, I left, I, one morning, I, I mean, he knew I said I wanted to go and he was like, okay, <laughs> that that's fine. When do you want to go? And then I was like stunned, like, what? You don't want me to, you're not going to beg me to stay <laughs> because oh. of my ego. Right. You know, I kind of right. had an ego thing going. And then, um, so I waited a little while, but then one morning that feeling came back and I just, I called the U-Haul place. I called my cousin my cousin's wife, and we came and packed up this huge, I got this huge U-Haul and I packed it up and I put a note for him on the kitchen table and I drove like west towards California and I had no idea what I was going to do. Oh, wow. Nope. I just knew. (laughs) Did you have a destination or you were just driving? Um, I was going to stop at my mom's in Arizona and then I was going to go to Casey's. She was expecting me and I guess I would get a storage and then I would figure it out. Mm-hmm. Right. But I had never in my life done anything like that. And to leave a marriage for to a nice guy for no reason, like but there was something in me that knew that that was not the life that I wanted. Like I had I just knew it. So that was my powerful <laughs> uh not this moment. I was 27 years old and that would be when I started drinking in full force would be that year. So, mm. so not this to the marriage, but totally this to drinking at that point. Right. Which could just maybe says that you, you know, fear of the unknown or, you know, not having a solid, not having a plan and then not having coping skills. That's why we turn 
to alcohol, right? Yeah. That's why we did that. So what's your what's your other note? Uh, okay, well, so my 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 next one, I guess probably timeline wise, happened about the same time, or actually even before the first one that I talked about. Um, but that was um, when I left my church I was raised in, and um, that was scary uh, because I was taught in that church that um, I would go to hell if. You know, I mean, anyone who who was not a member of this um, religion, this particular um, sect, or they were are are going to hell, and um, you know that not in the back of my head, even though I didn't a hundred percent believe that, and. Um, I knew I wanted to keep spirituality in my life, but I just didn't know what it would look like. Uh, but I knew it couldn't be that. It, it couldn't be the institution, the religious institution that I was raised in. And um, how old were you? I well, I, I you know, I kind of would start get having excuses as not as to not go. It sort of started when I got my first job when I was 16 and I would find myself, oh, I got to work on Sunday. I'm going to miss, I'm going to, you know, and, and parent, parent, my parents didn't love that, but, um, but they liked that I had a job and, uh, but probably mostly when I, I went off to college, um, I really, you know, I, mom would ask, oh, have you looked around? for a church, um, there. And, you know, I would say, um, I, I, I've seen, I've seen our church. I've seen a church of Christ. (laughs) I've seen a church of Christ, but I, uh, yeah, I'll go at some point. And, but I knew, I knew I'd never go. I knew I'd never go. And, um, you know, but it was, I really struggled a, a, a little, or I, yeah, that's contradictory. I struggled a lot because I, I knew I wanted to keep spirituality in my life. And I did kind of go on somewhat of a, of a spiritual quest for knowledge, at least in college. Um, I mentioned this in a podcast that we've already recorded, but won't come out until after this one. So I'm going to say it again. I'm going to talk about it twice. But I took a lot of women's studies classes in college, and a lot of those classes were in particular were particularly about the origins of the feminine divine. We, you know, I studied a lot about icons and archetypes and um, religious history. And I mean, there was even a couple of moments, and I've talked about this before, where I thought that I might even, major in theology or religious studies or something, because that's just how I, how hungry I was, um, for knowledge. Uh, but unfortunately I also wanted to party. So, <laughs> so, so that's going to be maybe a problem. Um, <laughs> and I couldn't but, do both. <laughs> but you knew, but you knew that particular 
sect, like you said, that that wasn't for you, how you were raised. Like you knew that that wasn't going to be it. But yeah, I can get that going on that spiritual quest. Yeah, for sure. Knew that wasn't going to be it, but I wasn't completely done. I didn't just, um, you know, ball up the piece of paper and throw it in the garbage and say, well, I'm an atheist now because that wasn't, I, 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 that wasn't my experience at all. I was definitely, I definitely stayed on a spiritual quest. I wanted to learn about every religion deeply and I wanted to understand the origin stories. Um, and I did that, uh, you know, like with many things when we were drinking, my desire to do something far outweighed my actions <laughs> because mm-hmm. those things I wanted to do. But like I said, I also wanted to party and I couldn't, I couldn't do both. <laughs> so, right. um, so it took a back seat a little bit, but, um, but the quest was always still there. And, um, so now you get to do it how you want to do it though. Right. Right. You knew not this, like, you know, I didn't, that didn't, that wasn't it. It wasn't Mm -mm. that you didn't want it at all. Right. You wanted it differently. I just, I really wanted just to expand my, my, my knowledge, which therefore expanded in my spiritual life completely. Of course I wouldn't, you know, I would say that now on reflection, but that may not have been the case at the exact, at that exact time. But, um, well, we but sh- now my spiritual life feels very big, way bigger than, uh, it, I think it would have had I stayed, had I, had I, you know, stayed in that particular, um, religious sect. Yeah. Well, and, and, it sounds like you, you and I share this too. We were seekers, right? So we didn't, I was seeking it because I didn't really have a foundation or I didn't have that whole childhood of growing up like you did, but we both were kind of seeking some kind of spiritual enlightenment. And it's only now with age, I think that I can acknowledge that. Right. And you're kind of going through it. You're just kind of muddling and figuring and. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's the only gift, the only from the gift of hindsight. Can you see? Oh, I can see where I was. I was seeking. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I have a religious story, but I'm not, that's not one of my, not this. It is one of my, not this is, but not for today. <laughs> <laughs> I have a lot. I apparently had a lot when I started thinking about this. Um, but my, not this came in the form of suburbia. And this is not to um, badmouth suburbia for anybody else who lives in suburbia. But for me, it was closing in on me. And um, we I bought my first home with my husband before we got married um, down in San Jose, California. And we just were kind of doing the stereotypical, you know, we're going to get married. We bought a big home, brand new Um Everybody else's house on the street looked like ours. You know, they were track homes. And we filled it with stuff like you do. Again, got married, got all the stuff, and everything was looking really cute, like a Pottery Barn catalog, and we hated it. <laughs> you know? So it was like I we made it look like how maybe you th- think you're supposed to make it look, or you're living in suburbia, and this is what you do. And, again, all my notions, and this is not a... Um, the judgment of anybody else. But for me, it was like I had was filling up a home to look like a catalog 
that I hated <laughs> deep down, <laughs> not, not on the surface, but, but deep down, like something didn't feel right. Right. So, or like it was something you thought you should yeah. like. Just like the getting married and you should, I don't know, just mm-hmm. there was this theme with me I can see as I was writing this out. But um, so once 9-11 hit, um, my husband was stuck on the East Coast. And that event, as it did for many people, that just shifted our whole perspective on things. Um, he came home. That happened on a Tuesday. He came home on a Friday. And when he came home, he was like, let's go see um, that wine bar our friend told us about that's for sale. Let's go check it out. I'm like, we're getting married in about three weeks. Like we don't really have time to go looking at wine bars. Um, (laughs) Now I know this would be my demise, but I didn't know it then. So, um, but we had just, we were like, we want to move out of the city. We're tired of, I felt anonymous, like where I lived. We Mm -hmm. pulled out of the driveway in the morning and shut the garage door, went to go work at the law firm in Palo Alto met for drinks after work or dinner, came home at 8.30 or 9, opened our garage door, pulled in, and did the same thing over and over. I didn't know any neighbors except for one, the neighbor to the left of me. Mm. I didn't want to talk to anybody. We would go to the dog park at like 10 o'clock at night because hopefully people wouldn't be there. Like my inner hermit <laughs> was um, <laughs> was screaming, you know, and I so so to listen to that a little bit. And so we got married, like we were planning on October 6th. And we um, were on our honeymoon and I bought my husband a book. And it was, I can't remember the title of it, but it was a a book about stories of people who had simplified their life, um, who had left jobs, who had started anew. Now, this was all before the minimalism movement. This was back in 2001. So we read that book on our honeymoon, both of us, and we just talked about how could we do this? How could we buy that wine bar? How could we sell our home? How could we like do all of that? Well, we, we got a call from the owner of the wine bar while we were on our honeymoon because we'd been in communication. And he said, can you cut your honeymoon short and come up here and let's seal this deal? And we're like, okay. <laughs> so we, um, we cut it short. We went to see it. We shook hands on the deal and we um, went home and quit our jobs and put our house up for sale and sold it. And we had a new life by the middle of January. Um, So three and a half months later, we sold a car, put all of our things in storage, and we lived in a one-bedroom apartment underneath a wine bar on the Sonoma coast. Like we, it was, it was, we knew we did not want this anymore. We did not want to work in Silicon Valley. We did not want to live in suburbia. We wanted to have a different way of life. And so that was my big, not this moment, like I knew it had been fine, but that was not what I wanted anymore. Wow. Yeah. That's so cool. I mean, you know, you bought a wine bar, there's that part of it, but (laughs) just sort of, you know, where you're both on board and you completely change your living situation, your career, everything all at once is um, pretty I'm ballsy and liberating, you know. Yeah, I mean, it was. we'll get back to the wine bar part. I'm sure later, but yeah. <laughs> we'll circle around. Yeah, but it was it was really that my husband. It was a perfect storm, right? So he wasn't happy. He was working in high tech, and I was working at a high tech law firm, and we were just 
I mean, it was great. It, 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 you made your money and we we bought this big house, but you had to work. Like I said, we didn't get home until nighttime. We didn't know any of our neighbors. There was no community, mm-hmm. no community yeah. at all. So I right. knew that I, I didn't know what I wanted exactly, but I was o- open to giving it a try. So that, that definitely, that not this was, I'm glad I listened to that. Even though yeah. the wine bar, you know, took me down, but <laughs> right, um, <laughs> that's I wouldn't be here right now. So it's all part of my story. <laughs> all right, <laughs> what you got next? Okay, well, mine, uh, my third one also um, involves an ex-husband and same ex-husband. I only have one ex-husband, the one I'm talked about at the top of the show. <laughs> um, and that was a, that was a really huge and one of my hardest, uh, not this moments. Um, uh, it's still painful to even talk about, um, because I loved him very, very much and, um, I loved his family God, just as much or more even. (laughs) I love, love, love his family right now to this day. Um, And uh, they are the reason probably why uh, we were married even as long as we were because um, I was scared to death to say goodbye to them. Mm. I had no idea uh, what my life would look like without them. Um, and you know, and without him, we had, you know, we had a child together. We, um, had just bought a house together. We had moved away from the bigger city that we had lived in with, you know, options for employment and that kind of thing. We were living in a small town and, um, there were so many reasons that I could have listed um, and did list uh, that um, so many reasons to stay because that was the easier choice. Yeah, I get that. Um, because leaving him was going to be hard. I knew it was going to be hard. It was going to be hard for him and for me, um, logistically, emotionally, everything, all of, all of the things. Um, but I knew, I knew in my gut that if we would never get better as individuals if we stayed together. As a matter of fact, I used to always say, and this is such a sad realization, but I, I would say that we brought out the worst in each other. Mm. And, you know, it was something that I didn't, you know, that that wasn't the case when we first got married at all. But it was a slow, um, it was a slow realization. And, um, and I knew that we, I knew that that, I just couldn't see a future for us as a couple. Um, 
a healthy future for mm-hmm. us as a couple. And um, so, uh, you know, I am the one that initiated the the breakup initially. Um, he had initiated it many times before uh, and had gone back on it. We both decided, you know, would mutually decide that we were going to try to do things differently going forward. And we would constantly go back to our old patterns and our old behaviors and our old ways of treating each other. And it just was a cycle that we could not break. And so then it was finally me and I was scared to death. I was scared to death. That was one of the scariest things besides quitting drinking, um, which I wouldn't do for many years later. Um, it was the, at that time, the scariest thing I had ever done. And, um, you know, we're still, I'm still learning, uh, things from, from that time we were together for, uh, you know, we were married for seven. We were together for about nine. And, um, like I said, I still have a good relationship with his family and, um, and, and we have a, a good relationship now that I know wouldn't exist, uh, if we had not had, you know, separated and then divorced. Um, do you think it's he, improved by your not drinking too? Oh goodness. Yeah. 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 I let go of a lot of resentments I had, um, from, you know, our, uh, I had over our, our relationship, not necessarily even just against him. I resented myself in that relationship. Mm. I get that. Yeah. And, uh, cause it was both of us, you know, I, I, I wouldn't put more or less blame on him or myself. We both contributed to the demise and I held on to resentments against myself just as hard as, as, as I did resentments against him. Um, you know, one thing I did do though, and I decided I had made this decision before I even initiated initiated the separation was that I would never speak ill of him, uh, in front of his son. And I, I have kept my word. Um, so, uh, I'm proud of that. And, um, you know, and, and life was hard after, after we separated, it was real hard, but, um, but it got a whole lot better eventually. And, uh, I think it, you know, did for him too. So, um, ugh, divorce is just hard. It is, it is rough. Um, you know, those feelings that I had for that person that I married, you know, they don't just, uh, go away, you know, that they, they, they take a seat and they ride with you, um, forever. So, uh, anyway, that was, that was a big, that was my big, 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 um, not this moment. And yeah. Thanks for sharing that. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. 
Well, I too only have one ex-husband, so I don't have any more to say about that. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank goodness. Um, but the third, I think the thing that I wanted to share that I'm not quite sure how to phrase it. I, I put in my notes like that I no longer, I stopped lying to my therapist. But it wasn't that I really lied to my therapist. I lied by omission to my therapist. And so the January, the month before I stopped drinking, which was January of 2015, um, I decided that I was going to start telling her the whole truth, you know, and nothing but the truth. <laughs> so help me God. Like it was, it was bubbling up in me so much and I had such a secretive interior life that nobody knew about but me, um, you know, the waking up in the middle of the night and the conversations I had in my head and the things I would write and think all to myself that I didn't tell my husband. I didn't tell. I told some girlfriends, maybe some things, everything edited for me when I was drinking. I, I, I had to be careful of, I don't know what, you know, I didn't want to be found out or probably I didn't want to be told like, you know, you might want to take a look at your drinking. Um, but that was just so heavy and so, um, all consuming. And so when I went into my therapist, I just started telling her things. And Steve knew, I said, I'm going to be sharing a whole bunch of stuff today. I, I either want to quit therapy or this is, this is couples therapy. I either want to quit therapy or I need to tell everything that I want to tell that's been in my brain. And he was like, right. well, we only have an hour to give me. So I'm like, right. And I'm going to, it's going to be a power hour because right. I'm going to get it all out. So he didn't know what I was going to say either, which was very, you know, he's kind of always been game for that. Um, and we'd been going to her at that time, like seven years, six, seven years. And I'd never really told her the truth. Well, gee, I wonder why I couldn't fix the things that were broken, right? right? Yeah. I wonder why. I mean, we kind of could work on the outside edges of things. Um, but when you're not saying that your wife is an alcoholic or, 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 that, or that, you know, for Steve to say, he never, he, he never outed me ever. Right. Mm -hmm. And for me not to out myself or not to be truthful, I mean, we're paying this person to help us. Yeah, you're not going to get the help that you need that you're asking for. Right? I mean, yeah. I know it sounds really simple, but when you're in it, right. you think you have to be on protection mode because that's how maybe you've had to be your whole life. And you start stringing it back to your childhood. And my therapist knew all this. I don't know mm -hmm. if she knew when it was going to happen, but she she knew why I kept the secrets or why I kept it to myself. But anyhow, so that day in the therapy, in th that January was a packed January for me. And I went in there and I just started telling everything that was in my brain, everything that I had been thinking. And um, I just, the complete, total, unedited version of the truth. I just kept talking, didn't let her talk, didn't let Steve talk. I just kept going and going and go until I was like exhausted at the end. And then I paused and she was like, are you, are you done? <laughs> and I'm like, for now. <laughs> and I was crying. And she said, do you know what you just did? And I was like, um, kind of. <laughs> she was like, 
you just, um, I call this jumping into the deep end of the pool. And you want us to save you. You want us to help you. So Steve and I are going to sit on the edge here and we're going to reach for you. Mm. Wow. Mm. And now that you want to tell the truth, our work can begin. Wow. And I didn't, I didn't know I would quit drinking when I did. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought about sharing that moment, but I didn't really have that moment. That moment kind of happened to me in the doctor's office, but the, the, the impetus for it right. was realizing. The pivotal, the pivotal uh, premonition. Yeah. yeah. Was finally telling the freaking truth about my life. Like, why mm-hmm. was I keeping all of this inside? Why was I, you know, having this internal struggle every night mm-hmm. from two to six in the morning, every night? Why was I, you know, the struggles, that's when I think the emotional struggle was. When I was drinking, I wasn't struggling. I was kind of whatever. <laughs> that was my medicine, quote unquote. That was making me feel better. Mm-hmm. But the struggle happened when I could get... um in the state that would happen, as you know, because you had this the middle of the night wake ups as well, when mm-hmm. you're in the cold sweat and when you're um, trying to reconcile who you are and your behavior and what you did and why you did it and what did you say. So having that moment in therapy and actually realizing that that's where I should have been telling the truth for all of the time I've been going there. But I only I knew that I could no longer kind of keep up the facade I could no longer tell the version that I'd hoped you know everybody would like mm-hmm. including my husband and mm-hmm. I have to say to his credit he just has always been game for he's never tried to get out of therapy I try to get out of therapy all the time right. I don't think we should go I don't really feel like it's working I don't really know do we have anything to talk about he just gets in the car he's like let's go like he never says a word just we do it Mm-hmm. And so that moment was my not this. Like, I could not live like that anymore. I could not keep presenting this version. And that was the first undoing. That was mm-hmm. the first little step. Um, alcohol would help unravel it all when I gave that up. But that was the first time to tell the truth and be heard and seen by both mm-hmm. of them at the same time. Was really, it was really powerful for me. Mhm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I had several moments like you know where where my drinking was starting to have consequences. Um where I you know, in hindsight, you know, think, wow, that could have been a not this moment, Sandra. <laughs> But yet I, I wasn't ready. I just lived in such denial that I would just, nope, not ready to face that truth. Because you have to face your own truth. You have to be ready to face your own truth, right? Mm-hmm. Before you can even tell somebody else. Yeah, and I think I'd been ruminating on it long enough, you know, in those mm-hmm. little late night sessions or in my own head as I was driving, like knowing things weren't right for a really long time 
And uh, again, January is my favorite month of the year. I just love it. It is for me like a renewal. And um, I felt like I didn't want to do this year like I'd done all the other years. And my word for the year was shed. And it really guided me. It really, mm-hmm. hopefully we can talk about this on a future episode on words and intentions and things like that for the new year. But that word shed, I was like, I've got to shed this old way. I cannot go on. Or or I don't know that we would have, we could have stayed going on that way, Steve and I. Right, right. Um, and I'm always, I'm just so grateful that I got the nerve Mm-hmm. I found my yeah nerve. yeah yeah so yeah. that's my that's mine okay don't lie to your therapist <laughs> <laughs> that you're paying <laughs> it's really silly <laughs> I mean do it for a while if you need to to work your way up but at some point you got to pull the band-aid off <laughs> jump into the deep end of the pool with me <laughs> wow well, okay. Well, I'm going to share my my final one, and I'm sure this won't be a surprise to anyone, but my final, and so far has been the, the biggest, not this moment in my life, was the day that I woke up on July 13, 2014. And that was the day I was ready to face the truth, right? Like I just mentioned before, I hadn't, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to see that truth. I didn't want to see it. I'd catch little glimpses of it and then I would push it back under the rug. Um, but that morning, um, for whatever reason, uh, I woke up and said, not this. And as a matter of fact, I even remember my prayer that morning. I prayed and said, God, I do not know how I'm going to do this, but I can't do this any longer. And, um, Ooh, I'm not normally a crier. Um, I had no idea, uh, you know, that I mean, that was the day that I woke up to the life I have now. And I had no idea it could ever be this good or would ever be this good. I was scared to death. I was scared of change. Um, I was scared of losing my friends. I was scared of losing that shitty, miserable life I was stuck in. <laughs> I was scared right. of losing that. Cause it's all um, you knew. Cause it's all I knew. Um, I could not imagine a life without alcohol in it. Um, but I just knew I couldn't do it one day longer. Couldn't, couldn't do it one for one more day. And, uh, I am so grateful that I had such an intense, not this moment when it came to alcohol, even though, you know, I had worked my way up to it. There'd been many times, um, many times where I said, okay, not this for three weeks, <laughs> you know, not right. this until happy hour. <laughs> um, but I wasn't ever ready to look at the whole thing and face the whole truth um, until that moment. And, um, you know, it, it 
it fits in Elizabeth Gilbert's essay so well because I was terrified. I was terrified. I had absolutely no idea how or what or when, no logistics at all. But I just knew it couldn't be that anymore. Um, thank God. <laughs> yeah. And you could pivot. Like we, you said that earlier, like it's the pivot. Yeah. It's not like because you don't know what you're going to do, right? You didn't have any idea. Mm-mm. But you knew you had to pivot into a different direction and that you would figure it out. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that. It's amazing. Like our, it's like we, how much we can tolerate until we don't <sighs> tolerate it anymore. Yeah. Right? Amazing. Like, like we're so strong willed, even to our detriment. Right. Like, so that, <clears throat> the, um, do you want me? Are you are you want me to segue into mine, or you have any? Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm. That, I mean, I've told the whole story before, so I don't need to rehash the details. But, um, well, mine's it's so it's a riff on that because I my not this was building right. So when I went into not drinking, I kind of did it in a way that was, you know, suggested by my doctor, and I did it as kind of this whole uh, elimination diet. So. I felt like I was trying to please my doctor, um, still not drinking and feeling good about it. But for me, I think my not this moment came when I started going to AA and when I went in the rooms. I think my not this moment was that I, I no longer want to moderate. Moderate is not, I cannot do that anymore. And so around my seven month, and I think I've shared this here too, but I'm going to share it again for new listeners, but around my seven month, of sobriety, I really wanted to drink. Um, I had so many, I started just making this list. um, And just, I was trying to tell myself like all the ways that it would be fine that I could do it since I had not drank for seven months. Um, The holidays were all coming up and my birthday and anniversary and all these things where I'd want to have champagne and New Year's. Um, But I knew that I had never, ever felt better. I knew that I had never um, enjoyed life so much. So I had that knowledge. So it was kind of hard not to know that. You can't unknow that, right? (laughs) You just can't. Mm -mm. And so I think the, um, when a friend reached out to me and suggested AA, um, and that I kind of give it a try, um, my not this moment was probably like, no, not that I'm not going to AA is how I thought the moment would go. You know, that, that it would be not this. I'll do anything, but not. Th- I'm not going to go to be hang out with those people. Mm-hmm. Such a huge judgment. Um, you know, spoiler alert, nobody wants to go to AA. No, nobody <laughs> wakes up and says, today's going to be awesome. Let's I'm going. go hit a beat. <laughs> <laughs> not one person in that room wanted to be there. So I had to remember that. Um, but I wouldn't get that until a little bit later. But so my not this was like, no, I'm not, you know, I'm not an alcoholic. So there's, you know, I took the test and I don't need to go. And she was like, well, you know, it's just I think it would speak to you, you know, the nature of the steps and the linear nature. And I just think, you know, I think I know you. So I think it might work. And to prove her wrong, you know, I went right away. 
Right. Oh, yeah, I'm going to add that to the list. I'm going to go to 6 p.m. tonight. I'll go to that little church. That's the closest one. Well, my son's at soccer. I'll knock that off my to-do list. And it was much more emotional once I got there, of course. But I think that, um, you know, my not this moment had more to do with it. I just did not want to keep feeling like I had to moderate. I didn't want to keep feeling like I had to make these lists of holidays. I didn't want to feel like, oh, I could have two and then a glass of water. And then if I do this and if I tell Steve to cut me off at 10 and then I won't draw it. The whole that's what I wanted, not this. I didn't want that mental game anymore. I didn't want to I didn't want to keep toying around with moderation and all the mental mind games I was playing with myself and just so I could figure out how I could start drinking again. It was like a lot of work. Mm-hmm. And so I, I instead, I think my not this moment is that I said not this to those feelings. Mm-hmm. And instead of like saying, you know, AA is this death sentence or that it just, you know, um, it is this terrible, shameful organization that's, you know, written a book by a bunch of men. Like I didn't focus on that. I just couldn't focus on that because I knew that if I kept messing with alcohol, um, I just was going to end up in the same shame spiral that I'd been in for decades. And, um, you know, I had to say not this to my thinking about moderating, if that makes sense. I had to say not this to that mental game, to that to that kind of trying to trick myself into why alcohol was figuring still out how you life. right not yeah. the yeah figuring out how you could get it back into your life yeah and that so instead of saying not this to aa which isn't again not the be all end all it's not for everyone whatever i just i couldn't i that was my first step of not resisting something that might be good for me mm-hmm. it was my first step of being open minded by saying not this to um to kind of like discounting myself. I was saying not this to selling myself short. Um, I was saying not this to, I, so my mind is free now that I can pick AA or I can go to recovery refuge if I want, refuge recovery, if I could find other resources. doesn't matter. doesn't matter what you do. I just know that you can't, I, I cannot moderate, that I, that is not in my personality makeup. And knowing that I can't mess with it and knowing that it's not even on the table, it frees me up so much. And it opens me up for all of these other things to try. So this isn't a, um, an endorsement for um, the 12-step programs or anything. It's just that that was, I realized what I was resisting. You became willing. You were willing to try totally anything. Willing. I was. To, I was. And just to say no to to say not this to moderation totally. or trying to get alcohol back into your life. Yeah, that 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 was a tired old game that really exhausted me. So yeah. That was my not this. Not this to moderation. <laughs> <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> not this. And yeah. So that that's my last one. Oh. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I know. Those were really all very heavy. I was saying some were not so significant, which I've had probably many. If I really went back, I probably have many, many not not significant uh, moments where I said not this, but those were all pretty significant in my life. Those were the ones that I, yeah, when I brainstormed, when we decided we were going to choose this as a a topic, um, 
those were the those were the ones that really just rose to the top for me pretty quickly. Some for obvious reasons, and then you know ones just that were important points in my life that you know I did feel a pivot, like an actual pivot. Like, uh, nope, I'm turning around. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking. I'm looking at my list, and I'm looking at your list, and I'm thinking like. And I have no regrets on any of these not this moments. Mm-mm. No, me neither. Me neither. Zero. Like not even one percent regret. Right, which shows. I mean, to me, that says it comes back to like that intuition thing too. You know that um, Elizabeth Gilbert even talks about in the essay is you know you just know in with your whole being that. Um, that it's this isn't the right way for you. Yeah. Mm. I'm gonna need a nap after this, Sandra. Right. <laughs> oh, we still have to do our three things. Yeah. So oh. our three things today. I'm just gonna set it up. We yeah. chose three things that uh, kind of continue the riff on the on the on the topic, and um, so anyway, minor you know, a little esoteric, but I'll maybe need a little explanation, but I'll start if you want. Um, so my first one is just staying with discomfort. And uh, so for me every day, um, I choose not to drink, you know, um, and it, and it may sound simplistic, Um, you know, there are many days that go by that I don't even think about alcohol, which that is a miracle in and of itself. Um, but for instance, last night had a big day, got up really early, worked in the studio, went for a long anniversary hike with my husband, came home, went back, finished up a big project that I've been working on that dragon kimono, (laughs) finish it up. It's all done. Um, and I was trying to cook dinner for the kids and they were just like, I mean, they were just, uh, it was that point in the night. I mean, they were fighting, they were talking to me a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I could just feel the anxiety in my body. I could feel it revving up and and I even like if when I become just mindful of it, when I'm like, okay, that's anxiety. You feel that, Sonner? You feel that? Um, th- those were the exact moments. And I and I even acknowledged this last night. Like this is the exact moment that a drink would temporarily knock this feeling out. I I remember how that felt. You know. Even if it was a night where I said, I'm not going to drink tonight, the minute I started to feel that anxiety rev up, I'd like, ah, fuck it, you know, pour myself a glass of wine because it would knock out, it would temporarily, temporarily disable that, that feeling, right? It just did. I mean, that's why it was our solution. For sure. Um, now of course we all know it was temporary, uh, but it, it definitely would. And so. Uh, you know, so now by saying, you know, not this to alcohol, I'm sorry, hit the microphone. Um, you know, we have to, we have to sit with it. It's uncomfortable as hell. Um, but, 
but it passes, right? Um, so I, I had to sit there and finish dinner, you know, I had, had to feed my kids. And, and so I, I just, just kind of sat there in that discomfort as I finished dinner, got everybody fed, ate myself and went to bed as early as I could. And, you know, by the time I had gone to bed, it, it had pretty much passed, um, you know, and this happens several times a week. You know, it's not like <laughs> isolated incidents. <laughs> right. It's like you're having your own personal groundhog day with it. <laughs> but, but that is how we do it, right? And, I mean, I know we have other tools. Take a hot, hot shower. Go for a walk. You know, make a cup of tea. All those things. But sometimes we just have to acknowledge it. And just sit in it. And and every day that you do that is the day that you choose and say not this to alcohol again. And it's as simple as that. It's it's not easy, (laughs) but it's that simple. Yeah. That's a good one. Staying with with discomfort. I like that. That's true. That is true. Um, So my first tool for... um, our unruffled toolbox theme of not this. (laughs) I was riffing on it too. And it was just, um, I've talked about this before on the show, so I won't go on too long about it, but just diet. I I think the dietary shifts that I've made um, by saying, you know, not this to alcohol is definitely one of them. Not this to caffeine. I put caffeine and then I realized that matcha has caffeine in it, I just learned. Um, So I would say not this to coffee is maybe what I should say. Um, But that's been almost a year. When I realized that had such an effect on me that I am so sensitive to it and that that really, um, I I use the same phrase all the time, it fueled my anxiety because I know it did. Once I removed that, um, once I removed uh, dairy predominantly from my diet, my skin changed. So by saying not this to those things, um, it's really made a physical difference for me and, and, and mental as well. I I feel, I feel clearer. I feel Mm -hmm. um, more alive. I feel present. So I would say dietary shifts has been a huge, has been a huge thing. Well, my, my number two is almost the exact same thing. Dietary changes for me as well. And I, uh, I've talked about this, so I don't have to completely retell the whole um, story, which is even boring sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Not to me, Sandra. I I had a way of eating, um, and I had practiced that way of eating for 20 years, I guess. Um, But like many things, it stopped working for me. And that way of eating was like high protein, low carb. Um, I had eaten that way forever since my twenties and, but it really was starting to not work for me. And I just wasn't feeling good. My body wasn't feeling good. It wasn't doing the things that I wanted it to do. And I'm sure getting older has a lot to do with this. You know, things shift and change. Um, every day now, it seems like, <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> and, 
and so it was, you know, it was one of those things I had resisted. I didn't want it to work actually, (laughs) but, um, but it did. And, you know, removing, I'm going predominantly plant-based. I'm not going to say that I'm vegan because I am absolutely, you know, not, nor do I want to take on that, that, that title (laughs) at all. But, um, but just shifting to mostly plant-based, removing most of the gluten, most of the dairy and most of the meat, um, has really, uh, changed how I feel. Um, I've, I feel mentally stronger and I feel physically better. I just feel lighter and clearer. Um, yeah, there's a clarity, right? Yeah, there really is. And I, I, I'd heard other people say that that was the case and, you know, and that wasn't for me. Nope, not for me. I am high protein, low carb. (laughs) (laughs) Old story. It's an old story. story. And, but, you know, making that shift and saying not this to those things has really, really had a big impact on me. It's only been a few months. So anyway, that was mine too. It's a big one. It's a Mm -hmm. big one. And being open, just being open yeah. to, to trying it. Because if it if you don't like it, then you can go back. Always uh, go back. Yeah. Yeah. That's been it's been a huge one for me too. Um what I, I think that the little the thing for in my toolbox for not this is um my former book club. I finally just pulled the plug on that. And that had been kind of plaguing me and plaguing me for years. And I think I've shared here before that just it was a really a drinking club for me. I can't mm-hmm. speak for the other ladies, but for me, I went there to kind of get down, party, and get drunk once a month. And um, that didn't serve me for so long. And so even in sobriety, I was going thinking that it was my teacher and that I was, um, you know, could be around other women who were drinking and that I knew really well. It's still, I still c- couldn't do it in the end. And so by by leaving that group, and it was earlier this month, by leaving that group, um it was a way to say that I can no longer do this, um, but I can get together and talk about books with some gals for coffee um, on a Sunday morning. And so right. I'm going to do that instead. Mm-hmm. So not this, not the book club, but I can reframe it and make it something that fills me up rather than fill me up with dread. I can be filled up with other feelings. So leaving the book club was my not this. That's a good one. Yeah. Um, okay. So my last one, um, you know, it it still plays along the theme and that's knowing what I do like now and what I do want in my life, um, which is huge for me. And, you know, I I think I can attribute this to a few things, obviously sobriety and recovery, but also just getting older, (laughs) I, you know, forever, I, there were times where I, many times where I could not tell you what I liked or what I wanted. There were many, many times where I went along with what other people wanted or what other people wanted for me, Mm. where I lost what I want. I couldn't, couldn't tell you what I wanted or what I liked. Um, and 
and uh, and now I I know what I like actually, and um, and I can say that without inhibition or without fear of fallout or what other people might think of me. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I can say no to a, you know, a nine to five or a retail job. Um, you know, I, I can, I know that I, don't like to have big parties at my house anymore. <laughs> I, I, there were times where, you know, I, we had a party. This was actually with my ex-husband, but we, we would have people over every weekend and, um, and it was fun, but that's not actually who I am. <laughs> I don't, don't love to have big parties or social gatherings. Now you know. Um, now you know. And now so I well. know. Now yeah. I know. You know, I don't like to talk shit about people. Um, I, I don't like that. Yeah. I, I don't like to spend a whole day sitting on the couch. And I mean, unless I'm sick. But I, it's a... That's I don't like being sarcastic and cynical and hate on things and um so I you know I do I know what I like now and I know how I want to be in the world and um that is just so freaking liberating. Agreed. I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I do feel like the older I get, I settle into that. Yeah. And that's a, like a byproduct of it. But yeah. You can pay attention to it in sobriety too, though. I feel like it's like a, a, a focus. You can like a different lens that you're looking through the world. And so you yeah. can kind of see yourself in that too. And like, what do I really, what, what, what it really makes me tick? What really do I want to do? And how do I want to be? Mm-hmm. Mm, I like that. Um, so my last one is a little bit, uh, so the acronym in the rooms that I've heard for God is grace over drama. And it's one of my favorite mantras. And I, you know, it helps me move through situations that I don't know how I feel about or that I'm uncomfortable with. But um, I've used that on the phone with my sister. What her and I have done is try to, to remove um, gossiping because that's usually that's our native tongue is mm-hmm. gossip. <laughs> that is... Um, that's how it was done. That's how it was demonstrated for us. And that is kind of what you do in my family. And early on in sobriety, you know, I was changing. And along the way, my sister has been changing with me and in different ways. And about, I don't know, maybe it was maybe four or five months after I started going to meetings. And I was like, you know what, Tracy, can we we like not gossip on the phone when we talk to each other and she's like what are we going to talk about (laughs) (laughs) why are we going to talk then (laughs) and I said well I'm just trying this out and I don't know but I realize that I don't like I don't like how it makes me feel and I'm not saying I'm Pollyanna and going to be perfect and never gossip again that's not what I'm saying but can we give it a try and she's like okay sure and so we would practice and it was really great because when, when she would start going off in a direction, I would say, hey, Trey, grace over drama. 
let's try to choose it like right here. And we actually would be on the phone talking like this, like I'm saying right now, which sounds kind of maybe silly to some people, but well, I had I to that's practice a it. Great thing that you can practice with your sister, you know? <laughs> it was so awesome. And so she would go, or she'd call me, and if she'd start like going on a, you know, she'd go, oh, I know what you're going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Grace over drama. Fine. Okay. I go, well, it's like you're when we get in that mode, it's either I'm dumping something on her and I'm leaving all these hard feelings and emotions, like I'm getting them out of me in a way and depositing them on another person with gossip. And then that person has to carry that for the rest of the day. Um, negative talk, all of that kind of stuff. And so we've been getting so good at this. <laughs> so it's really easy to do that with family, right? You want to talk about so-and-so and so-and-so. And I, we just don't do it now. And it's been like, I don't know, since what is this a year and a half, two years we've been practicing, it's really opened my eyes to things. And I can then go out and do that with other people or try to, um, or not go as extreme as I used to normally go for that kind of dramatic effect, you know? So that mantra, grace over drama, practicing not gossiping with my sister, that's something for not this that I'm working on that is still a work in progress. Well, that's a great one. I love... Like I said, I think if, you know, like being able to just, just practice with somebody like your sister, that's, there's no more perfect scenario. <laughs> well, I feel like I practice with you too. Like even if we have things to discuss or something that comes up, like, I mean, not that we ever gossiped, but I'm just mean like just practicing talking and kind of walking through the world with someone and knowing the language or the, knowing how to do it. You know, and knowing that I'm not going to go back to how I used to do it. I have this new opportunity with Sandra to have a different type of friendship and mm -hmm. to yeah. not default to that, that that's not what it's based on has been really, that's why new friendships are so good for me too, because it shows me that it can be done. Right. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Oh, oh wow. Okay, I feel better now. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. Um, <laughs> I hit a thousand days yesterday. Sobriety. Oh, congratulations! Yeah, it was a it was a weird day. It was a weird feeling day, but um, at my thousand day, don't couldn't tell you when it was. Came <laughs> and went. I don't have. I don't do the. I don't count. Oh, yeah. I I think it was. Um, you know, go, going back to my very first uh, unruffled toolbox item. You know, it's just so miraculous that I don't think about alcohol every day. So, yeah. So I just, um, but that's amazing, you know. I, I mean, and, and that's what milestones are for. They give us a chance to celebrate and then reflect and yeah. um, all, all of that. Oh, it feels, uh, and milestones do something to me. Um, I think, I, you know. Maybe to others, just those, you know, kind of those, that's why you have, you celebrate those, like you said, the milestones, the birthdays, the one year, the two year, whatever. Um, a thousand just felt significant, um, mainly because of how much money I saved, um, because I'd spent about 20 bucks a day for so long on my drinking. And so that would be like $20,000 that I've saved. And that's that got, crazy. It's flipping crazy. And so when I think about it like that, the significance of so many other things are better in my life, but you know, your bank account is one. <laughs> and that's why I can kind of sometimes indulge myself with uh, self care because I feel like 
I would have spent, you know, 50 bucks on a really good bottle of wine. Or I'd go mm. to the hotel and buy, you know, martinis and I'd end up with a $75 bar tab. You know, mm. and now I can go get a facial instead. And I love mm. that. <laughs> yeah. So that's that. I don't, you know, I don't see counting anymore other than mile, big mile, year milestones. But that kind of felt like one, one last hurrah for the days. That is a good one. Yeah. That is a good one. And if you're in early sobriety, please count all the days. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Make and, and a big deal out of them. Because it is a big deal. Yeah. Share them. Celebrate them. They are a huge deal. Well, all right. So we sign off. Any other yeah. parting words or thoughts or no, no. no. <laughs> if you wanna, if you want to read that essay that Elizabeth Gilbert okay. wrote, if you just, uh, it's hard to scroll around for it. Um, but if you just put in in Google like Facebook Elizabeth Gilbert, not this, it'll come up. Um, it'll pop right up. So yeah. if you are not in our um, secret Facebook group, but you want to read that essay, just pop that into Google and you'll find it. It's really good. Yeah. And I was going to say, both of us are working and putting out newsletters. If anybody wants to sign up for our newsletters, they're on our websites. Mine's TammySolace.com and Sandra's at TheUnruffled.com. Right. And it's on our homepage. You can navigate. You'll see where it says to sign up for it. And um, I'm giving away a ray of light painting to the, if I can reach 500 subscribers, which I got a ways to go. <laughs> so we'll see how that goes. But it's been fun to send out newsletters and talk about things that maybe necessarily we're not talking about on the pod or on our other social media channels. It's kind of an, a little more personal way to connect. Yep. Yeah. Yes. All right. Well, have a great day. Okay. Sandra. All right. You too. <laughs> The Unruffled Podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas. Our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht. Original music composed and performed by NMMD. Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designer Chris Aguirre. Thanks for listening.